Hey, I can't really see you anyway, but how you doing? You doing all right? My name is Andrew. Welcome to Cobblestone. We are in the end of a series called Practicing the Power. I'm thrilled that you're here. Uh, this series is a continuation of what we started in the beginning of the year. Uh, this whole year has a word over it, it's the word fearless. Uh, and we started off by saying we want you to fearlessly follow Jesus. And I, I, can, I can't preach this message more intensely. Don't follow me. Don't follow this church. Follow Jesus. He will lead you. He will save you. He, I mean, Jesus, all right? Uh, the, the couple weeks after that, we just said, hey, fearlessly love each other in a way that the world would take notice. And then we talked about fearlessly worshiping and being, being a house, being a place, being a church that's about one thing, the glory and manifest presence of God, that if we get the Lord, we get life. And so this series is really about fearlessly following the Lord into where we scripturally believe he's leading us. And so in many ways, uh, I think there's just like a, a reason that this series kind of was like, oh, we got to do this, even though there's some heavy topics in this series. I don't know if you've been here. A lot of questions around this series. The reason of this series is we don't need a lot of greater strategies. We don't need more money. We don't need a better model. We don't need all those things. We need the Lord. We need his presence. We need his power. We need him. And so as I started to think, I really feel like God is challenging me, and I think he's challenging us as a church to believe him, to believe him and believe in him greater, like to grow our faith. And so as I was praying, I was just like, well, all right, Lord, what do you really want me to just say this week? How do I wrap up this series with all a lot of loose ends? Uh, and two words came to mind, won't or can't. Which one is it for you? Is it that God won't? That he doesn't care? That he won't come through? Or is it that he can't? Those two words plague us. Because if it's, if it's that he can't, then he's not powerful, he's not God, but I believe that he can. In fact, if I ask you questions like, can God save? Everybody in the room is like, yes. Can God heal? Can God, I mean, like we can just... Can God create a rock that even God can't pick up, right? You're like, I don't know. We can ask all kinds of questions. But it, it, or is it that he won't, that God won't move and God won't do the miraculous and God can't, like, what is it? What is it? And so I almost felt like God was like, you need to pray over before you even get into this topic that faith would rise, like our faith would arise. Like I almost want to yell it at you. Let faith arise in this church that we would no longer be afraid to ask in faith, boldly, for God to move in ways that don't make earthly sense. I'll tell you what doesn't make earthly sense. The God of everything coming in human form, dying on a cross for sinners. No human sense. No earthly sense. So what we're about to read today just fits right along with that. So I want to pray. I just want to pray like just boldly that God would speak to us. Uh, and then we're going to get into the topic at hand, which is healing and miracles. All right? Jesus, this is your church. I'll even step out of the middle of the stage and I'll say that you would take the center. God, I'm hungry for you, for your voice, for your presence, for your power. And as we gather in your name, I pray that you would flex, that you would show off, that you would, you would just, all week, God, I've been expecting for you to come to this place in this moment and show your people how faithful you are. So, Lord, I look to you now. I pray that your voice, once again, would be the only one we hear, that as we open up your word, it would teach us, 
and that your kingdom will come today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, go to 1 Corinthians 14, 26. We're starting right off where we ended last week. After that, we'll be in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to end today in James chapter 5. we got a lot to do, but here's a couple things that are kind of fitting into this whole thing. Uh, number one, because the topic of prophecy, tongues, spiritual gifts, healing, there, there's a lot of questions around those. Today at 1230, it won't be in here this week, it'll be back in the youth room. We're going to have a thing called Let's Talk About It. So if you have questions after today, or even questions left over from last week, don't skip out, come and ask them. There's some questions that maybe you need to bring, you're like, I don't understand why you think scripture says this, let's talk. You hear that? I want to talk to you. I don't want to alienate anybody, I don't want anybody running. Uh, secondly, you, you were, we are in the middle of a 24-hour fast and prayer and worship. All night last night, people in this room, I mean all night, have been praying, I would say, for you. That when we gather today, that God would do what I, this faith-filled, he'd grow our faith, that we would see him move, that this would be this, this moment, this intersection where God's been calling us to do spirit and word. And so if you want to join into that, as soon as this 12 o'clock service is over, not 12.30, 12, 12 service is over, the music will turn right back on and this room will turn right back into prayer and worship and intercession until 7 o'clock tonight. So if you've been fasting, 7 o'clock tonight, we'll break that fast together. We'll come in this room, we will worship and we will praise God that he has shown off, all right? So right up, right up front. 14.26, we're just going to jump into it, we're just going to start reading Bible, and then we'll break it down. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it is reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So here's this, this end of 14, which we started last week, which we focused on prophecy in tongues. And you can see, once again, a few things he builds out. Let all things be done for building up. So a word from the Lord, a prophecy, a tongue, an interpretation, any of these things that's going on in this room, your use of hospitality, your use of administration, your use of any gift from the Lord should do what? It should build up. Let all things be done for the building up of the what? The body. The people of God gathered in the name of God. And second thing, it says God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. 
I, I love when the Bible tells us what God is like. God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of peace and a God of clarity and a God that actually, he's like, order this thing in a way that whoever comes in, the gospel becomes clear. And then there's that one final thing which says women should be kept silent in the churches, and I doubt there's any questions about that, so let's move right on. And actually, last week, a couple of you, you came up and you were like, you said you were going to read all of 14. I noticed that you did not. <laughs> said it just like that. Like, I'm like, I didn't, I mean, you can't cover prophecy, tongues, and gender in one sermon and not be here for four hours. So like, just, I, yes, I didn't read it on purpose, but I'm not afraid of it. And so let's do this. Let me talk about it. In Koine Greek, in the Greek language, there's not a lot of punctuation. You probably don't know that, but it's true. Uh, the phrase at the end of that is, as in all the churches of the saints. That statement, as in all the churches of the saints, that either goes with God is a, not a God of chaos, but a God of peace, or if your Bible's like my Bible, what they did is they went, God is not a God of chaos, but of peace. Stop. Break paragraph, new sentence. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Let me just, let's just do a Bible study. I'll tell you why that's a problem and why you need to know your Bible maybe better than you do. If you go back to chapter 11, we'll just, I'll read it to you. Chapter 11, four to five, it says, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, if you're in this room and you're a lady and you're like, I'm not covered, give me your hat, man. Like, I, chill. I'm not even going to talk about it. You're good. That's all I'm going to say. You're good. Uh, chapter 11, this is what you have. Chapter 11, when you women, you prophesy, when you hear from the Lord and you come forward in the gathering to speak it, you women, when you're praying, this is how you should do it. So how do you take that, 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 that instruction in chapter 11 and then right here, two chapters later, go, as in all the churches, women should shut their mouths. How do you reconcile those two things? And this is what Bible study is all about. So if you had been reading through 1 Corinthians, you should have already read chapter 11. Oh, women are prophesying. Women are praying. Women are in the church. And then you get to chapter 14, and he's like, but now he's telling them to be quiet. What do I do? Well, you study the Bible. And so this is why the Bible interprets the Bible. And what I mean is, if you were to read this, women should remain silent. That word silent is the third time the Greek word for silent is used. He uses it in verse 28. He says, if there's a tongue going on and someone else has one, the first one should be silent. He's like, shut your mouth. It, it, same thing with prophecy. He says, if there's someone given a prophecy but then someone else starts one, the first person should be silent. Now, here's what I love about Paul. Paul ain't scared which means he's not afraid. Paul's not afraid to look at a group of women who seem to be using their prophetic gifts and these tongues and their, their place in the body to disrupt. And in where this sits is he's talking about order. He's talking about everybody being built up. He's talking about people not yelling out of turn. And so this is how I would read it. I don't think you can take the phrase as in all the churches and place it with women should remain silent. Because in the context, he's already taught them how to use their gifts, how to benefit the body. What this is, is a group of married women in this church 
are calling, causing disunity, are speaking out of place, and are being disrespectful, and he says, shut your mouths. But here's the thing. I know in this congregation, men and women can cause disunity. So it is this scenario. Let's play it out, right? One of the men in this room stands up in the middle of this teaching and starts yelling something in a tongue or a prophetic word. Guess what I'm going to say to him? Shut up. In a loving way. Sit down. Be quiet. Right? And so if you were to know the cultural context, which I studied all week, these women were standing up in the middle of the teaching and screaming things prophetically. I would tell them to be quiet too. Would you? Yeah. Because then people are like, what's going on? I'm trying to listen. I can't grow. I mean, like, this is what's happening. And so... Uh, this is what I'm encouraging. I'm encouraging you to know the word of God and not cherry pick verses. Because if you were to pick that, as in all the ch churches of the saints, women should be quiet, just pull that out and then build a theology around it. And build just a whole doctrine on that one verse that you would miss chapter 11 and chapter 12 and chapter 13. All of it, the whole picture. And, and so know the Bible. Know the Bible, know how to study the Bible. I, th this is not all women remain silent always in the church. Like, I don't know if you women know this. You shouldn't have been talking today when you walked in here. I don't think that's what this is. I, I think this is, there's a way to behave in this gathering when the saints get together that doesn't push against the authority that God has established and allows the body to be built up. The, the body to be built up. So this is this word to this specific group of women using their gifts wrong. I think I'm clear enough. All right. So here's what I would say. I, I prayed a lot for you, my sisters, this week, and this is what I would say from, from the Lord. You get as close as you can to the Lord. You fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Beg for it, and when he speaks to you, let me know what he says. Let me know what God's saying. Teach me what you're learning. Get as close and theologically fierce as possible. If you're a college woman, Get a systematic theology, get a Bible, make the weak little boys around you look like li weak little boys, and they'll step up and be men. Can I? I love my fierce prophetic sisters. I love you guys. And I do not want any part of this to rub off on you where you're like, I gotta be sheepish and quiet, and I can't talk, and I gotta get my doily on my head. Not this verse. All right? Not this verse. And so what I thought, I, I, and I know I'm short on time, but I really felt like we were supposed to do this. So men, what we're going to do is we're going to pray over our sisters and our wives and the women of this church that God has given them voices. They actually have voice boxes. I don't know if you know that. And that we would shepherd that and tend that and allow that voice to come out where, where it needs to. And so if you would, if you're next to your wife, I'd put a hand on her or one of these. I don't, you know, like, and, and then if you're not married to a woman, please don't put your hands on her without asking her. Um, if maybe you're just surrounded by other women, that's fine. You can pray for each other. I just want to pray a prayer of blessing and goodness and favor and like praise God that you're in this body. Okay? Jesus, I lift up, I bless, I love my sisters, my mothers, my my. My wife, I, I pray your goodness, your favor, your filling, your power all over them. I pray the lies of the enemy stripped off and that your beauty, your life, your, your goodness would shine in them. Every one of them. 
from the youngest to the oldest, God. We lift them up as the men. And if any strength that you have given us, God, pray that we would protect them, that we would be humble enough to listen to them, that we would outdo them with honor, God. Forgive us where we haven't done that well. Shape us to be men and women that use our gifts to glorify you and to build up this body. Bless my sisters. I pray you would draw each of them into yourself. And in the weirdest way possible, that you would give them dreams and visions and life. And then give them the wisdom of how to speak that. In Jesus' name, amen. Sisters, I love you. I do. Uh, and, and so here's the thing. All these gifts, all these signs, all this be silent business is for one singular purpose. Go to chapter 15. I'll just keep reading. You can get there when you get there. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If, I hold fast, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The whole purpose around these gifts, the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts, the weird gifts, whatever title you want to put on them, the whole purpose behind administration, healing, prophetic, hospitality, I can just list them all. Like these aren't the only gifts that we're studying these four weeks. All the purpose behind these is that when the body of Christ comes together, hello, body of Christ, the gospel would become clear. Jesus would be magnified. People would be loved in his name and set free in his name. The whole purpose of this series is that we might grow up more into the fullness of what God wants us to be. So when the body comes together, the gospel becomes clear. And so since the goal is the gospel becomes clear, here's a couple practical orders for prophecy and tongues and all these things we've been talking about. Uh, we're gonna have to grow in this I'm sure we're gonna stumble a little bit, but step one, I know, is if you feel like you're hearing the Lord, we want you to write that down, and I want you to like, deliver it to an elder or a pastor. And I want you to do it with a lot of prayer and a lot of just faith, all right? Because here's the thing, we're gonna test that. And I promise you, if it needs to be presented to the church, it will be. If it's a word for you, we'll be like, we think God's just encouraging you with this. But we definitely have had people come to the elders and be like, this is what I feel like God's saying, and he's used it. So that's step one for us. And I know some of you are like, where's our prophecy mics? They're not coming. And I know some of you will have a problem with that, but we can talk. We're growing in this, but this is the starting point for us as a church that's just stepping into this stuff, okay? Let's get going with the last three gifts that I really want to talk about. Turn back to chapter 12. We're in this series with faith, healing, and miracles, which are not small topics. Yep. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
This is where we started week one. To each of you is given by the Spirit a manifestation for the common good, for the building up of the body, which means no one gets out of this. There are no lackluster second-tier Christians. Everybody gets a manifestation of the Spirit for the building up of the body. Do your part. I'll do mine, you do yours. We'll be the body together. He goes on at verse eight. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, we have talked about the bookends, prophecy and tongues, in those lists. What we haven't talked about is the three in the middle there. So the first one, as he says, is faith. To, to another, faith by the same spirit. Did you know faith is a spiritual gift? And, and, and I don't think this is the faith that we all possess. Because you put your faith in Jesus, I hope. This is the type of faith that is like, oh my gosh, I just believe that God is going to intervene and that he's going to make a way. These people look just like silly optimists. Like they walk into a situation, a hospital room, die, and they're like, God's going to do this. And you're like, I believe you. Well, I believe that you believe that. I mean, like, I'm having a hard time over here, right? So this gift of faith is just like God's going to handle it. God is able. God is good. Let's seek him in prayer. Like, they are just like these faith-filled warriors. And I love them. I want more of you around me. Because my natural pessimistic heart is, this is not going to end well. And they're like, bet it won't. And then they challenge me to be a man that's going, all right, Lord, give me this gift of faith. Fill my heart with faith. And so here's the thing. If they're doing life right, which means they're open-handed and they're not going, you know what? This is 100% gonna happen. You're gonna be healed. This is absolutely what's gonna happen. It's God's will kind of thing. And they're going, all right, God, you are sovereign, but I know you can and I know you want to. I have no problem with this. The second thing, it says healing and miracles. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit, and to another, the working of miracles. Now, here's the thing. The New Testament actually doesn't talk about the gift of healing. It doesn't talk about people in the church who are known as healers. What that means is, when you're sick, you don't have to go find the guy living in a yurt in Alaska who's special in healing. And I say that because literally, if you were to get into it again, it should read the gifts, plural, of healings, plural. It's two plurals. The gifts of healings. And so it's this moment where you might find yourself so drawn and filled with faith to pray a prayer of faith over somebody, and you're like, God's going to heal you, and he does. And then another time you might go pray over somebody, and they will not be healed. It's these moments where God's like, yeah, I'm in charge. And at different times, in different sicknesses, God's going to give to different people different gifts of healings. Which then breaks us out of this typical idea that, like, we got to get the healers. And so here's the thing. I believe, I believe that the gift of healing and the working of miracles is available to the church today. Just like prophecy and just like tongues. If that's shocking to you, come to the 1230 talk. All right? Here's the thing about those. They are not for self, but for love. Like in all these gifts, I feel like I just have to lay the baseline. Like you can misuse these gifts just as much as you can just misuse teaching. 
You can get prideful in these gifts just as much as you can get prideful in teaching, administration. You're like, man, I handled numbers so well. Yes, you do, Becky. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? I don't know who Becky is. We don't have anybody on staff named Becky. But it's easy then to not use these things in love, but this is the heart of these gifts. The love of God made manifest in someone's life. Healing definitely would do that in my book. Secondly, it's not the ability to heal at will. And I say that because I look at like the Apostle Paul's experience, right? God gave the Apostle Paul some crazy grace to do some crazy things. If you don't know, go read the book of Acts when you get home. I'll give you some examples. He healed the crippled man in Lystra. Lystra. Acts 14. Go write these down, look them up. He, he healed a lot of people in Ephesus. He healed a demonized girl in Philippi. And I don't even want to try to say this last guy's name, but he fell asleep while Paul was talking. Fell, fell out of a window. You know this story? Dies. Paul's like, he ain't dead. Get up. Because he was so boring. I think that says he felt bad. All right? So, but, right? But, so here's Paul that God, a lot of times, it seems like God was really just like, I want to show off these gifts of healing in Paul a lot. I just want to establish this, that, that, that Paul could not take away his own thorn in the flesh. He begs God to do it but he couldn't heal it. He, he had an ailment that he had when he preached in Galatia that would not go away. He could not heal Timothy from his stomach ailments because he tells him to drink wine instead of being, you're healed, it's drink some wine. Which if a pastor ever tells you that, you're like, am I screwed? Maybe, I don't know. So Epaphroditus, he, he has a life-threatening sickness and you would think if he's this healer, he would just be like, get up, but he doesn't. Uh, you have, once again, I'm not even going to say the name, but he left this dude ill in Miletus. And, and so sometimes Paul was given the gifts of healing, and sometimes God wanted to do that, and, and Paul tuned into it and did it. And other times, not so much. So God is sovereign in this. There's not a mechanical or automatic thing. It's not mechanical. It's not turn three times, face the west, and bow. They're healed. It's God is sovereign. God can and God will sometimes. My job is to pray a prayer of faith. And, and so I think 1 Corinthians would say it's right to pursue and ask for healings and miracles. I don't know about you. When I start praying healing over people, I start feeling a little ridiculous. Like, what's going to happen if I don't? They don't. What's gonna, is this going to make God look bad? Am I just a fool for even believing that he will? Anybody else want to be honest? Like when you're, you're like, shouldn't I just hedge my bets and be like, all right, I pray healing God. But if you don't, thank you that you're good. Yeah, we do that all the time. But I think it's right. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire that God would give the spiritual gifts of healings. That God would do miraculous things. Like the Bible is full of God doing miraculous things. Now, I think it's then wise not to reject this idea, but not also not to exaggerate this idea. And so here's the thing I know. Christian communities, we split on this topic in every direction. And, and so I'll just play it off in my own life, and I'm going to try really hard not to cry. Uh, so dad got cancer, right? And immediately two camps formed. Uh, the first camp was a, you just need to have faith, brother. You just need to grow your faith and just believe that, you, that, that God's got healing for your dad, Andrew. 
You just need to really muster your faith. The Lord honors faith. You have little faith. Like they just quoted those scriptures over me, right? I wanted to stab them. Is that too aggressive? Because what they were placing on me and what they were actually placing on my dad was the reason, Bob, that you have cancer is because you don't have enough faith. Now, maybe that's not, maybe that's true. Maybe we didn't have enough faith. But that, that, that weight and that shame and that, like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't want to be that kind of pastor. I don't want to walk into your hospital room and be like, better get some faith, I'll come back. No, I, I want to be the kind of pastor that walks in and goes, in the name of Jesus Christ, healing. No ifs, ands, or buts, trusting the Lord, and then he's good. The second group uh, are the guys I went to school with. They're the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible guys. They're my Reformed brethren, the ones that are like all sovereignty. So they would come in and be like, the will of the Lord be done. I was like, very comforting. Thank you so much. So much comfort. So much hope there. Uh, I'm really just, faith is soaring. The will of God be done. Dad dead, will of God. You know, God healed, will of God. I, I just feel like, once again, there's these two bookends, and somewhere in the middle is where we need to live. And so here's, here's what I always talk about when I talk about healing and I talk about miracles. The question that plagues us. Why not my kid? Why not my dad? Why not plagues us? And you'll never hear a pastor say this because we're too chicken. I don't know. I don't understand it. I pleaded for 10 years that my dad would not have cancer. I even got to the point where I stopped asking. Like I was like, all right, sovereignty, right? But I think there's this beautiful moment where like, this is how I see it. Like as kids running into the room of their father, asking for stuff that we don't see all the details. We don't know how it's going to work out, but I know he does. And so I just want to read a scripture over you. Uh, it's 2 Corinthians 4.16. This is the verse I read at my dad's funeral. So we do not lose heart. I'll read that again. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So... Here's my life, right? Here's this struggle with cancer. And actually, I know two other people in this room, same exact experience. Parent gets cancer, people start praying, people start promising, people start faith in them, people start reforming them, and they're just like, what do I do with this? And so as I look in Scripture, I, I, th this is the questions I'm asking. Where the what do we do with the fact that the Bible tells us to put our hands on people and pray that they be healed in the name of Jesus? What do you do with that? when we have all this real life kind of like struggle? What do you do with the fact that in the book of James, he says to lay hands and ask him with great expectancy to heal disease? What do you do with that? How do you reconcile that in your life? Well, normally we hedge our bets, like I said. I think we need to ask, I mean pray boldly in Jesus' name's kind of prayers, believing that God is able and God is willing. Open-handed. God's will is going to be done. Like, here's the thing. 
the will of the Lord is going to be done. The will of God is going to be done. How you pray, the words you say, the faith you muster or not, I think has little to do with the glory and goodness of God. And so we're bold in our prayers. We want to pray for healing. I want to be a church that someone walks in and it looks bleak, man. We're like, oh, we're going to pray on this. Not the will of the Lord. We celebrate that God heals. And here's the thing. The ways that God heals, it could be divine. It could be miraculous. It could be unexplainable. Or it could be through common things like doctors, medicine, a good night's rest, something like that. We praise God that he heals and he gives wisdom. He gives a thing called common grace. So those non-Christian doctors that cut out brain tumors, those guys, praise God. And so here's the thing. How do we go about this? And that's where James chapter 5 comes in. Go to James chapter 5, verse 13. We've got to hurry. James chapter 5 is the only, I mean, it's the text you go to when you're like, all right, what do you do when healing's needed, when sickness is happening? What do you do? And I love it because it's not in 1 Corinthians where I feel like we get kind of nervous because it's all spiritual gifts and stuff, but it, this is James, a whole other writer, saying this is how you should pray. Uh, it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth its fruit. Now, there are three kinds of praying in this verse about what to do when you're suffering or sickness happens. There's three versions, and I don't think any of them lock us into only doing one. It's not an either-or kind of thing. The first one is praying for yourself. James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So it doesn't actually establish what kind of suffering. But I don't know what your suffering box looks like. But anything, right? If you want to categorize it as, Lord, I am suffering, cry out to God with faith that he will move and he has the power and he's willing. So are you suffering in this room? Cry out to the Lord. Our response in suffering is to say, God, I know you can. I know you will. Make a way. I trust you. Maybe if you're like, man, I don't have a lot of faith, Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. So how are you doing at this? Are you complaining about your suffering? Or are you getting after someone who can actually do something about it? When we're suffering, we are praying ourselves. But it's not always just an either-or thing. The second thing, it's the elders praying over a sick person. James 5.14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church. 
Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, here's the thing. That text does not teach that everyone the elders pray for will be healed. That text actually says, if the elders pray the prayer of faith, the sick person will be healed. Which means you better have some faith-filled, spiritual gifts of healing-seeking, spiritual gifts of faith-seeking elders that are willing to come into your room because you've called them, anoint you with oil, ask you to confess your sins, and pray prayers of faith. That's where this thing, that's where this thing is like, requires faith. <laughs> faith. And, and so the picture I have is a group of elders who's been called by a member, by one of the sheep of the flock. These are your shepherds. They said, man, I'm sick. My kid's sick. I have a situation I don't know what to do with, and I'm trusting the Lord. Elders come and anoint my kid, come and anoint my wife, and then the elders come in. And guess where the elders have been for the, the last week? On their faces before God. Lord, give me the faith to pray this prayer. Give me the faith to believe that you hear. Give me the faith to come in and hear the confessions and lead these people rightly. And so the picture is a group of men who are earnestly desiring the spiritual gift of faith to pray the prayer of faith. And I have story after story where this has worked, where this has happened, where you're like, what? So is any of you sick? Now, most of the time you're like, well, I got to go to Alaska to the yurt. I don't even know what a yurt is. It just sounds like a cool word. But is anyone of you sick? Then we actually have a scriptural statement that says, is anyone sick? Do this. I don't know if that's your first go-to when you're sick. I don't know if that's your first go-to. Mine's like, uh, let's get over to that nurse practitioner stat. You know what I'm saying? Got some amoxicillin. There's a lot of amoxicillin in our house, right? My first thought is not, hey, let's get the elders a group of older men together and let's, let's have them put some oil on my head and pray, right? And so I think people all the time are kind of like, well, why would someone ask for the elders and not for the healers and not for like these special people? Because once again, the wording in these gifts is the gifts of healings. And so what, what sheep need when they're hurting and when they're sick and when they're wounded is shepherds and shepherds that are really close to the Lord. And since this gift, once again, is not you in particular are the healer, and we don't really know when God's going to give it, we call the elders, we call the shepherds to pray faith-filled prayers. There's still a third type of prayer in that, in that scripture. It's praying for each other. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's you and me. That's in our living rooms. That's out on the street. That's in this room. That's when I walk in a, like a hospital room that you would confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Do you see any elders in there? Do you see any yurt dwellers in there? You see any, any special healers anywhere in there? No, that's one another's. That's one of the one another's of the Bible, that God's people would pray for one another and confess their sins to one another that they may be, what's the word? I don't know what that word means to you, 
healed, raised up, made new, restored. God would do miraculous things when God's people with great faith cry out that he would do what he says he'll do. And so here's the thing. James actually reveals his thoughts about healings and miracles. Because in verse 17, he brings up an Old Testament reference. And you're like, why? He says, Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth its fruit. James uses Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, as a model for you and I to imitate, to pray like. That he's almost saying Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves. Why would he say that? Why is he telling us that an Old Testament prophet that called down fire, that did amazing miracles, that why, I mean, why is he telling us this? So that we can't object with our doubt and go, but he was special. That's why. He's saying, no, no, no. You, in your prayers of faith, have the same ability to see the Lord work in the way that he worked in Elijah's life. So how is Elijah's nature like us? He got scared. He doubted. He ran. He hid. He, he was a man with like nature. But when he prayed, it stopped raining for three years. And so Elijah was like you and me, and we can pray with the same effect is what James is saying. You and I can pray in a way that had the same effects of stopping rain for three and a half years. I'll ask you the same question I asked many. Who believes God can do anything? Now you're like, but you just told me I could stop rain for... I'm telling you what James told you. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I still have, I have this moment, I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do with this, Lord. Well, I'm going to go with trusting scripture. And so it's my belief that all of us should be praying living and being in, and, I mean, just crying out to God in a way for healing in the same way that Elijah cried out that it would not rain and God answered him. Because I believe James chapter 5 is actually a semi-rebuke. It's a challenge that, to shepherds that never have the faith to heal. It's going to grow your faith, shepherds. Cry out for God to fill you with faith that you might pray faith-filled prayers over the flock and see God's healing. And it's also a challenge to churches that don't pray for each other with the same power and spirit of Elijah. They hedge their bets. And so here's what you got to know. I'm tired of hedging my bets. I'm tired of pulling half, halfway, praying for healing, and then I'm like, but Lord... Because I, I, all of a sudden, I'm praying in faith, and all of a sudden, I'm praying in a lot of fear. What if not, though? No, I'm done with that. And I promise you, if I come into your hospital room, I'm not placing on you the demands of you got to have a lot of faith, and I'm not placing on you this, like, lackluster, the will of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray expectantly and with power that God would knock out that disease. The doctors would walk in and go, And if not, I'm going to go home and I'm going to cry out to the Lord all the more. I, why else is he telling us, pray like this, stop, trap, distrusting the Lord. Faith, arise. So here's how I want to end the service today. And actually, we've got tons of time, all right? 
The band's going to come up, and I'm going to start praying, but the song we're going to sing is one we've already sang today. And at first glance, it would feel like a very charismatic song. The song is called Miracles, and the whole refrain is just, I believe in you, I believe in you, I believe in you, you're the God of miracles. And here's the thing, if you didn't know the background of the song, it'd be easy to just be like, oh, you're the God of miracles, you're the God of miracles. The man who wrote that song had been up for days on end, had his whole church praying for his baby son. I mean, begging the Lord, save him and heal him. His son died, and he wrote this song. And so it's not a declaration of like hopeful fantasy. It's a declaration of I do believe and I do trust and you can make a way and you are making a way and I do trust you. It was a declaration of who God is in the word even if it didn't match the reality. And so what we're going to do is something I, I heard him ask them to do is like, I know you came in with situations. I, I just want you to picture the biggest situation you got and I want you to put it in front of you and then I want you to sing this song at it. That God, you're a God of miracles. That I believe in you. So if you would, would you stand? I'm going to pray. We're going to get after the Lord and then we're going to actually pray here in a second for each other. So don't leave. Jesus, thank you. the great I am, the one who is, the one who is to come, and that Jesus, I believe you led us to this moment, and I've been praying all week, God, that you would show your faithfulness and your favor in this room, that you would break chains, that you would restore faith, and that God, we are going to cry out expectantly that you would do miracles, that you would heal in your son's name, Jesus, Jesus, heal this morning. And as we hold these things out in front of us, if that's stress, a depression, a divorce, I don't know what it is, God, we sing that we believe in you and that you can make a way, God, that you're the God of miracles. So we just herald this song, that although life sometimes doesn't match what, what we're, we want, we trust you, we love you.